are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Friday, December 4th, 2020. Welcome to Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com. Director of Scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com and a member of the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi is not made for those who play the game. No, no. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. Today... On Locked On Dolphins, we're going to game plan and craft ourselves a game plan to beat the Cincinnati Bengals on both sides of the football. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation surrounding the Bengals crossover yesterday with James and Jake because I think it's it's very valuable to kind of hear the perspective of a team who started their process at the same exact time as the Dolphins did. Cincinnati hired Zach Taylor in the same cycle as Brian Flores. They drafted their quarterback in the same cycle as Tua Tungvaloa. And the Bengals have four wins in almost two full seasons to show for their efforts. Uh, The Dolphins' Brian Flores is 12-15 as an NFL head coach, a chance to move to within two games of 500 this week against the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the thing that was most prominent when I look at how Cincinnati has handled building their team, obviously the Dolphins had a leg up because they had a lot more draft capital at their disposal, but the way they procured that should not be overlooked as something that should be applauded despite the fact that the Dolphins were slammed mercilessly at the time for trading Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil's situation is a very different one than what A.J. Green's was with the Cincinnati Bengals last season. Tunsil, young, still on his rookie contract, but was due a big money contract. We're talking $20 million plus per season. He ended up signing for $22 million per season. It's not chump change, right? So the Dolphins... Understanding, we're in year one of a multi-year rebuild. If we pay Tunsil this contract now, we're going to be paying a lot of money for a product that is not going to be in line with when our competitive window is. In the meantime, we get more flexibility. We could trade and we can get two ones, two, some players back, some depth. They make the decision. Dolphins spammed for tanking, right? Think about A.J. Green. A.J. Green, granted, 31-year-old wide receiver last season. Uh, had struggled with some durability issues. The Bengals had a trade offer at the deadline for A.J. Green from the New Orleans Saints. They said, no, thank you. We're good. We're going to keep A.J. Green. Okay, so whatever that offer was, the Bengals said, no, thank you. Knowing he was an expiring contract for a team that was on pace to end up securing the number one overall pick, clearly not anywhere near competing. And what did the Bengals do? They slapped A.J. Green with the franchise tag this past offseason. The franchise tag for wide receivers is $18.2 million. 
So the Bengals elected not to trade A.J. Green and instead franchise tagged him and have him playing this year on an $18.2 million franchise tag. You know what A.J. Green has done for the Cincinnati Bengals? He's posted 35 receptions for 357 yards and one touchdown, and half of his yardage came in a two-week stretch in October. And he is once again an expiring contract, and he has clearly shown himself to not be the player that he once was as a seven-time former pro bowler, so now his trade market's gone. For whatever reason, Cincinnati's emotions got the best of them with the decision to retain A.J. Green. They could have got something, anything for him at the deadline. They did not. They opt to bring him back and pay him $20 million effectively this season to be not effective, not in line with the rest of the roster movement because now he's 32 years old. And you're going to let him walk. And because he's shown he's not an effective player, they're probably not going to get anything for A.J. Green as it pertains to a compensatory pick. So you lost value in trade value. You lost an asset to help rebuild your team. And you lost $18 million in cash. The Dolphins, Chris Greer, non-emotional with his decisions. And that is a big catalyst in why you see the difference and discrepancy between Miami and Cincinnati. Because Cincinnati spent money in free agency on their defense, just as the Dolphins did. Cincinnati also got a top five pick at quarterback. The differences are in the management of the team the strategy in the team building, and the head coach. So as we as Dolphins fans, we have every right to be frustrated in watching a Dolphins offense that is scattershot, not always on the same page, mental errors by young offensive linemen. It is what it is. Technical errors by young offensive linemen. It is what it is. At the end of the day, the Dolphins are playing winning football on all three phases. They complement each other. Certain phases, the defense and special teams are better than others, the offense. But the Dolphins are 7-4. and four. If you think it's rough watching this Dolphins offense kind of stumble over themselves in stretches of games, put yourselves in the shoes of somebody who has an affinity for the Cincinnati Bengals and watched their team hire a head coach at the same time as the Dolphins, was supposed to be better than the Dolphins, drafted their, co- their quarterback, at the same time as the Miami Dolphins, and has less wins in two seasons combined, four, than the Dolphins had last year. Never mind the fact that the Dolphins have three times as many wins in that time frame as what the Cincinnati Bengals do. That's as good of an affirmation as you are going to get that the Dolphins' rebuild is doing things the right kind of way, and they're making the right kinds of progress. That's a beautiful thing. So bear that in mind this weekend when you watch the Bengals play the Dolphins in week 13. We can expect and have extremely high standards for this football team in Miami. That's great. That in itself is an indicator of progress, that we have high expectations. But put it through the lens and compare it to somebody else 
who started their process at the exact same time and took the exact same steps in the exact same windows and look at that product versus the Dolphins and tell me you're not juiced for the future of this franchise. You can't. Not with a straight face. You can't tell me you're not. And we'll get an up-close personal look at Cincinnati this upcoming week. So let's talk about how do the Dolphins get this done. How do the Dolphins secure win number eight, secure their first non-losing season since 2016, and position themselves to potentially steal a couple wins down the final four games here against a tough schedule? The Dolphins now, as of this point in time, have one of the NFL's most difficult strength of schedules remaining with their remaining games, but that's okay. That just means the playoffs start early for the Dolphins. Playoffs start probably week 15 or 16 for Miami. And it might not be single elimination, but you better bring your A game because if you stumble, you're going to miss the postseason for real. Let's talk about how to beat the Bengals. So I'm going to read you guys uh, some numbers courtesy of CBS Sports HQ. And what I don't want to do is marginalize playing another NFL team. I think that is an important acknowledgement to make that the Cincinnati Bengals are a paid professional football team. Any given Sunday, anything can happen, as we experienced against Denver. So we should be mentally prepared to face somebody's best shot on any given week. The last seven games, the Miami Dolphins, they're 6-1. Their defense, 15.6 points per game. 214 passing yards allowed per game, 57.5% completion. Seven touchdowns allowed, nine interceptions logged. A third down percentage on defense of under 29% and 14 takeaways in their last seven games. Those are great numbers. Those are outstanding numbers. Compare and contrast that to what is going on the last two games since Joe Burrow went down offensively for the Bengals. The Bengals have scored a total of 28 points over the last two games. You extend that to their last three games when they played Pittsburgh, and they've scored 38 points in three games. Offensively, their offensive output over the last three games, one and a half of which happened without Joe Burrow, they 324 yards against Pittsburgh, 272 yards against the Washington football team, and 155 yards against the New York Giants, the 4-7 and seven New York Giants and the 4-7 and seven Washington football team. They've had a combined five turnovers in their last two games, seven turnovers offensively in their last three games. Their rushing totals, they've been without Joe Mixon. They will be without Joe Mixon again this week. 139 against Pittsburgh in a 36-10 loss. Okay, Pittsburgh's going to give you the the ground game all day long. 70 yards against Washington and 40 yards rushing against the Giants. Teams that have been able to give the Dolphins the most problems are teams that can physically run the football at you. It ain't happening this week. There's no way... Cincinnati is going to be able to find success on the ground. Now, will they get yards? Sure, I'm sure they will get some yardage. I bet they get more than 40, considering the Giants roll out like six defensive tackles. 
but this rushing offense in general for Cincinnati. Pittsburgh gave them yards on the ground because they were blowing them out. They got 118 against Tennessee, 205 against Jacksonville, who's 1-10. And And week one got 122 in a team effort that got under 300 total yards of offense against the Chargers. The remaining weeks this season, 68 yards rushing against the Browns, 48 against the Eagles, 70 against the Ravens, 98 against the Colts, 81 against the Browns, Washington 70, Giants 40. Cincinnati's one of the few teams in football that's worse at running the football than the Dolphins is, even if their yards per carry average might be better. This team can't run the football, and their quarterback now without Joe Burrow is Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen has a career 113 pass attempts as a quarterback. He's completing under 50% of 113 pass attempts which is, uh, as we like to say in the biz, no bueno. That's not good at all. That's terrible. His passer rating for his career in 113 attempts, 68.1. His sack percentage is 9%. No Joe Mixon, a bad offensive line, Brandon Allen at quarterback with his 9% career sack percentage over 113 pass attempts and sub-50% completion against a Dolphins defense that has allowing 15.6 yards per game, 213 yards per game in the passing game, 57% completion, 7 touchdowns to 9 interceptions, 3rd down percentage of 28.7 and 14 takeaways in their last 7 football games. Advantage Dolphins. In a big, 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 big way. Expect the swagger. The buffet boys are at the table. And there's blood in the water. So they're hungry. Defensively, I think this is a situation which the Dolphins can really have a lot of success. I'm not shadowing Xavier Howard or anybody. We do need to respect Tyler Boyd as a pass catcher. T. Higgins is coming on strong as a big-bodied guy, but he's a rookie. I don't feel super compelled to shadow him with one player or another. A.J. Green is whatever. A.J. Green is not the player that he was as a seven-time pro bowler. He's just not. He doesn't have that athleticism anymore. Joe Mixon out of the backfield, not, not going to be available. Gio Bernard is the other back, the primary back this week for Cincinnati. Does, that, does any of that, when you think about some of the supporting cast the Dolphins have faced in recent weeks, and then take into account this might be the worst quarterback the Dolphins face all season long, what concerns you defensively? You show up, take care of business, you're focused, you don't look past this game, and you should kick the tar out of Cincinnati when the Bengals have the football. Offensively. Not quite as cut and dry. I think there are some concessions that need to be made. Um, I'm super aware of where Jesse Bates is at all times. If I'm the Dolphins, Jesse Bates, if you're not familiar, uh, Jesse Bates at third, one of the better free safeties in all of football. He's 23 years old, super young, uh, coming out of Wake Forest as a redshirt sophomore a few years back. Tackling can be inconsistent. He is second on the team in tackles this year trailing only the team's starting strong safety, Von Bell. I'm going to say that again. 
the Bengals' top two leading tacklers on the season are their starting safeties. What does that tell you about this team's first and second levels of the defense? Aside of the fact that they don't have a lot of resistance and they're not very good. As far as the pass rush, Carl Lawson leads the team with four and a half. No other player on the team has accounted for more than one sack on the season. Josh Bynes, linebacker, one. Sam Hubbard, defensive end, one. He's played in eight games this year. He's missed time. Logan Wilson, rookie inside linebacker, one. Carlos Dunlap, no longer on the team, one. Khalid Kareem, one. Xavier Williams, defensive tackle, one. Sack production is not there. This team collectively has 13 sacks in 11 games played. The Bengals are one of the worst teams in the NFL in turnovers as well. They've only forced 11 turnovers in 11 games. An average of one a game. That's 25th in the league. So you, as the Dolphins, are coming in and listen to the yardage that this team is giving up on a week-by-week basis. 362, 434, 381, 429, 332, 433, 489, 441, 377, Let's go traditional drop-back passing. Let's find soft spaces in coverage. And let's literally Xerox the model from last week against the Jets. And we are going to force-feed Devontae Parker and Mike Isaki the football until you prove you can stop us. Because they cannot. They do not have the personnel to stand up and bow their backs against Devontae Parker. They don't. They don't. So if they go too high over top of him, that's fine. I'm going to run Mike Isaki. I'm going to put those guys on opposite sides of the field, and I'm going to force the Bengals to decide, okay, we have one really good chess piece in Jesse Bates in coverage. Is he going to shade Devontae? Is he going to split the middle? Or is he going to shade Mike Isecki? And I'm going the opposite direction of what he goes post-snap. You should be able to run the football against this team as well. Should being the key word. Uh, We said that coming into the Broncos game, too, and that did not work out so well. But the difference, much like the difference last week with the Jets, uh, the Jets and Bengals do not have elite blue-chip talents on the defensive side of the ball. That bit the Dolphins against the Broncos. If Bradley Chubb is not Bradley Chubb and Justin Simmons is not Justin Simmons, I don't know that they wreck the Dolphins' game plan the way that they did. Bengals have given up 200 200 yards rushing on two occasions this year to the Tennessee Titans and the Cleveland Browns. Well, yeah, those two teams are going to get theirs. They've given up 150 an additional three times. The Chargers, the Eagles, the Ravens, excuse me, four times, and the Washington football team. They gave up 142 to the New York Giants last week without Saquon Barkley. If the Giants without Barkley 
and Daniel Jones for half a game and Colt McCoy for the other half can rush for 142, this freaking Dolphins team can get 120 yards rushing. But how do you get there? My eye, you still pass to set up the run. Everybody freaked out when we saw the pass splits against the Jets in the first half. I'm okay with it. I'd do it again. Force the light boxes. If you have two at Tungavalo at your disposal, then just run the RPOs and make the decisions based on the box counts and key that defender. If he steps down, you throw the ball. If they're playing 10 yards off coverage, you throw the speed out of the now screen. Or you give the football. Miami, from a personnel perspective, there is a clear divide between the two teams. Miami, from a coaching perspective, there is a clear divide between the two teams. Miami, from a health perspective, it appears, despite the injuries, the ongoing injuries at the running back position, there is a divide between the two teams. My prediction for this game, I'll go 28-9, to Dolphins. I think this is a dub. I think the Dolphins... They got their little slice of humble pie in Denver. They're coming home, three-game homestand. Everything's out in front of them. Seven and four, an opportunity to move to eight and four on the season and set up this showcase matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs next week. You're not thinking about Kansas City, but you understand what's at stake because that game, if you win that one, can really springboard you, but it only counts if you take care of business against Cincinnati. It's time to show up, and you got to show up in a big way. You got to take care of business. You got to leave no doubt. And let's return all these Dolphins fans who got all excited about this team and then came crashing back down to earth because they lost to the Broncos. And then they won last week, and everybody says, oh, yeah, well, it's the Jets. It's the Jets, and they beat the Jets twice. It combined 44 to 3. Good teams don't just win this game. Good teams take care of business in this game. And say what you will about the Jets game looking the way that it did, the final score was 20-3. to That's a blowout in NFL standards. Even if it wasn't 21 to nothing in the first 10 minutes. Let's get the same thing done against the Bengals. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Listen, full disclaimer for those listening now. Uh, my wife's due date is tomorrow. So we're expecting to welcome a little girl into the world. We're very excited for it. Uh, But with that said, there may be a chance that there is a conflict with my ability to record a podcast if our little one decides she's going to delay her debut into the world into next week. If that is the case, I'm going to try my best this weekend to have some things pre-recorded discussing this Dolphins team based on the assessment of the team from a greater body of work. and what this team needs to do moving forward. I get a lot of questions for that for Power of the Pod. So if you get some non-topical stuff tomorrow, just know that's on my radar personally, and I'm very excited. Uh, I'll be a first-time dad, and I'm excited to welcome a little girl into the world that is never going to know what it's like to have the Dolphins have a losing record in December. (laughs) Hopefully it stays that way, right? And if they get the win this weekend, then we'll get at least through the first year before we have to worry about the Dolphins potentially having a losing record in December, which is a much more enjoyable experience than what the last 20-something years of my life has provided. So 
uh, wanted to put that on your radar as listeners because I want you to, to know what's going on with me. I want you to know if the podcast gets a little irregular as far as the release time or if you get a topic that's a, you know coming into Chiefs week, you might get one show where it's like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting you to get draft talk this week, free agent talk this week, team building talk this week. We got the Chiefs this week. I will be here all next week. You're going to get five shows. But one of them may just be something, because I don't want to make you guys wait for a show. That's not fair to you guys. So I just want to put that on your radars. Fins up. Let's go Dolphins this weekend. Let's take care of business. Get this dub. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Kyle Krabs. I'll talk to you guys next week.